What a beautiful day. And we have so much to be thankful for. I think for each and every one of you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 3 as we continue our study. And as you turn there, I'll give thanks for one more thing. And that is something very significant happened in the life of our church this morning. Some of you might not even be aware, but we had a number of people who were willing to step up and serve in our children's ministry to serve these little ones in Jesus' name. And so we had a bit of an informal training meeting this morning. We've got our calendar put together for those who are going to serve in the nursery ages because we believe that ministering to the next generation is essential to the operation of a healthy church. And, and we're busy reaching children for Jesus at the Good News Club. And we're inviting families to come. It should probably be good if we have a place for the whole family here uh, to feel loved and connected and hear the voice of God and allow parents to, to worship the Lord. And so I just want to thank you all and I want to give thanks for that. That servant heart, that mentality. We are going to James 3, continuing our study in this book, which is so convicting and so good for us at the same time. Now, if you haven't been with us in James, or you have, that's okay, because James is like a mountain range where you, you spend a portion of one chapter climbing up a peak and then you come down the other side, and, and you feel like you've just climbed the whole mountain range, but no, that was just one peak, and now the next chapter takes you over another one. And i got to say, we just got done climbing a really big one, and, and it talked about the wisdom of the tongue, and how we need to watch our speech. And, and I feel like that, that right there was, was a lifetime of learning, but we're not there yet. As we, as we peaked that hill and we come down, we have now officially arrived at the peak of the discourse of the entire book of James. Verses 13 to 18 form the, the you could call the thematic peak. Here is the climax. Here's where everything is pointed. And once you understand this, the rest of the book makes a lot more sense. And, and I'm very grateful for these words. I'm grateful for the privilege to open up the word with you. We will see this morning that wisdom comes from above. And if you'll join me on this hike this morning, we top that peak, you're going to see an amazing vista open in front of us. One that we see God's glory fully on display. We see how the goodness of Christ reaches our broken hearts and how God wants to work through us to ignite a movement of his spirit around this world. So let's read James 3, 12 through 18, or 13 through 18. Grab your hiking sticks and your boots. Here we go. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast, do not be false to the truth, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May God bless the reading of his word. And the main point that I believe I, I would, the, the Spirit would have me bring forward this morning, he, James is telling us that mature believers, those who are growing in their faith and, and wanting to grow in their faith and give God access to go their faith, mature believers must show the goodness of God in their behavior. Mature believers must show the goodness of God in their behavior. And there's three reasons for that. He gives the first in verse 13. 
Because glory leads to goodness. Glory leads to goodness. And he asks a rhetorical question that, that puts us all in a proper perspective right away. If you weren't here last week, he just got done talking about how the Father is the one who's responsible for all good things. He's the Father of blessing, and as such, you, you can't say you belong to God and bless and at the same time curse people who are made in God's image. It doesn't go together. And But if you weren't here last week, verse 13 just puts us all in our seats and it gives us perspective. Who is wise and understanding among you? You almost want to, to throw your hand up. Because if you don't, then you're saying, I'm a complete and total fool. And no one wants to admit that. But if you're tempted to slip up your hand like I am, I don't think I'm a fool. Well, well, well guess what? He says, then show it. It's not, it's not a raised hand thing. It's not a wear cross around your neck thing. It's a show it by your behavior thing. Because if you have experienced God's glory, if he has changed your life, then his goodness should flow from you. It's an encounter that you, you just can't miss. Now, he uses two words together here. And this is the only time in the New Testament that this is done. He brings wisdom and understanding together. Wisdom and understanding. Now, the Greek word wisdom, sophos, comes from the, the, the root word sophia, means wisdom, right? Anybody know somebody named Sophia? A okay, great name, that's what it means. It means wisdom. But at this time in, in history, in the Greco-Roman world, the leading philosophies of the day, they valued wisdom, but what they called wisdom was let's sit around all day and theorize about how life works and where does life originate and they just love entertaining new ideas and theories to them wisdom was something that stayed in the classroom in fact the more time you spent in the classroom and engaging in that discussion or even instructing well you were wise you get a glimpse of that in acts chapter 17 where paul goes to the uh, areopagus and it says that all day long, all these philosophers do is just engage in new ideas. They don't do anything practical with their life. They're just discussing things. Well, that's not the Christian and the Jewish understanding of the word wisdom, as we see in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And the New Testament writers, because the Christian faith is from the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills that and shows us wisdom is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all wisdom. All the promises of God find their yes in him. So wise knowledge is practically handling the matters of life that come from a personal knowledge of God. When you experience God, when he saves you from your sins and gives you his spirit inside of you, now you have the ability to live out what we learn in a classroom setting like this. It's not just theory. Get out of the classroom and and we live it out. There should be goodness there. But then that word understanding, this is interesting. Because that word understanding, in that, in that context, the, the reader would have understood or the hearer would have understood. This is also the word used for a professional who has a specialized knowledge in a field. A practitioner. So we have many specialists today. right? You have your, uh, you have your uh, surgeons. You have your psychologists. You have your uh, counselors, you have the mechanic, okay? You, you specialize in something. You, you don't just read about it in a book. How would it make you feel? 
if you were supposed to have a special uh, and a very risky surgery somewhere on your body and you're meeting with the person who's in charge of your surgery this very complicated surgery and you get to talk talking with this doctor and you say hey doc just out of curiosity because i know this is risky how much experience do you have with surgeries like this oh experience i have none i have no experience with this but rest assured i have read and studied a lot about this and i have observed plenty of others do this kind of surgical work but you'll be my first patient how would that make you feel not really a specialist is it in the same way does it make sense to say i know god he is my father he provides all things in theory and yet the moment that something doesn't go my way i get angry and frustrated and bitter maybe some curse words come out of my mouth hold on now that doesn't sound very understanding because we're not applying what we claim to know and christians we are to be people of the book we are to be students of the word in fact i would argue a call to to pastor even is first a call to the study i've got to know this word i've got to let it get inside of me but it can't stay in the classroom god's word and, and i appreciate those beautiful stickers back there but god's word was not meant to just stay as decoration in our home it's meant to decorate our life god's word is supposed to come from us this is the whole point god's word is the window to the glory of god and what he's done through jesus christ in fact he invites us to step through that window and enjoy that life that he has created for us and he's renewing us day by day to live it out show it let your light shine before men legendary uh, basketball coach and and ucla coach john wooden said this the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching who you are when no one's watching you that shows by really practice what I claim to believe. Am I behaving myself according to God's word? That's what this good conduct is speaking of. Is this good behavior? Who are you when you're alone? Are you like Christ when he was alone? He treasured God's word in his heart when he was tempted of Satan. He fought back, not with his fists or with fire from heaven, but with the sharp and pointed word of God. When he was alone in the garden, he prayed. And he prayed and he sought the Father and he submitted himself to the Father and he trusted the Father. When no one else was around, he met with the Samaritan woman by the well, giving up of his valuable time to speak to a quote-unquote nobody as considered in the Jewish culture. This was our Jesus. This was his conduct. And he cared for the hurting and the blind. And that's why James says, if, if this is really our gospel, if this is our faith, then we will live it out in the meekness of wisdom. Because in order to live it, you first have to experience it. In order to experience the Word of God, you have to receive it with a humble heart. That's meekness. It's humility. I'm, I'm actually depending my life, my faith, my all, my decisions I make for my business. God's Word gives me the guidance for that. And I trust God because of what He's done for me so far. I know I can trust Him with the needs of today. Christ didn't just come to save me from a lake of fire. Although, thank God 
the gospel sets me free from that. And, and he offers you that gift as well if, that, if you have not made that decision. He didn't just save us from the lake of fire. He saved us too, heaven with him. And with his Holy Spirit, he allows us to experience life in the Spirit today. So does the king work himself out through your conduct today? Does your experience of God's glory lead to goodness in your life? When's the last time you wanted to spend time in the Word just to spend time with Jesus? When's the last time you had a difficult decision to make and the earth uh, or the world would, would not make any sense of it, but, but this is what God's Word said, I'm going to do it. Not even necessarily because I want to. God will help my, my, my feelings and emotions catch up later, but I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to take the consequences because I believe that God's way is better than my way. The meekness of wisdom, like our Savior, casts his whole life to the Father's plan. <coughs> do we do the same? So glory leads to goodness. Also, we see in verses 14 to 16, thankless hearts lead to turbulent relationships. Thankless hearts lead to turbulent relationships. Right? Because mature believers must show the goodness of God in their behavior. And what does our behavior do when we live out our life? We impact other people. So if we're not thankful, we will experience problems. Right? Thanksgiving is so much more than a holiday. It's a lifestyle. We who have experienced God, we show it. But James says if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, Hey, that is, that is not wisdom from above. That is a problem from within. And he lists these vices, these, these problems here today. Let me give you some, some colloquial phrases that, that we use today. And this is the worldly wisdom, not that it's wisdom. It's really anti-wisdom. But, but we hear this around, don't we? You must earn everything you get in life. You've got to go out and you've got to take care of yours. Or you deserve better than how you've been treated. Or you've been so good lately. Let you reward yourself. Don't you lift yourself up and treat yourself. And those people who mistreat you, cut them off. Get them out of your life. They're a poison. They're a cancer. You're so good. You're so awesome. Other people, they're just haters. They don't see that. Cut them off. Sounds good. I mean, there's some reasonable assumptions in there, right? Like, well, my life does have value. And, and you can just see how the world twists these things because it's not God's glory that's, that's at the center of these decisions and those thoughts. It's me. I'm the mountain peak. And everyone else in the universe must situate themselves around me. So when he says there's a heart problem here, thankless hearts... Then he mentions things like bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. There's, uh, there's earthly, unspiritual, demonic things to this. We're being false to the truth. It's no mere accident when we sin or we have a thankless heart. There is a problem inside. <coughs> it's an ungratefulness, not believing God's word, that bitter envy. Like bitter, that's, that's a bad word all of itself. Let's focus on envy. Envy, I, I want things that I don't have yet, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get that. I'm willing to step over people or push them out of my life. Whatever i got to do to pursue that goal, 
And if others don't share in that goal, then you're dead to me. But then he says bitter envy. That's evil. That's the worst kind of envy. Like bitter water when you're looking for a, a cool, crisp drink of water on a hot floor today. And you take a sip, and there's just that poison water supply. And you spit it out of your mouth. That's what happens when we have an ungrateful heart. It's not, no longer God's glory I'm consumed with. It's what I want. It's what I have. And then I become a runaway freight train and just run over people. Forget their opinions. My problem, my need is the greatest. And then also selfish ambition. It's another self-centered um, heart condition. This was used in, in the Greco-Roman uh, philosophy. I started a sentence that it would not be good to finish there. Okay, so in the Greco-Roman world, there we go, the philosophers would use this phrase, say, for example, Aristotle. He used this phrase to talk about the selfish pursuit of political office. It was actually encouraged in those cultures. You have to be ambitious to go get what you want. You have to do whatever means is necessary to arrive, even if it's unethical. Ethics can change based on the circumstance. That's what these men believe. That's what our world believes. But, but here's the thing. Today we use the phrase, the end justifies the means. We don't like it when people do it to us. Us. All you got to do is look through the news. Over in the Middle East, the ends justify the means. Russia, Ukraine, the ends justify the means. Here in America, Republican versus Democrat, the ends justify the means. You see how quickly we can destroy this world because the ends justify the means. That's not the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is. I'm humbly accepting the Father's will versus I need to climb the ladder and I'll step on anyone who gets in my way. That's arrogance. That's falsehood. That's not being true to God's word. That's why he says don't boast about it. Don't be false to the truth. It's possible even for Christians to get wrapped up in this. We use whatever language we feel like and the emotions of the moment. We gossip about people because we're just so upset at something that they did. But then, see, we're Christians, and, and so we, we know we need to sugarcoat what we're doing to make it look spiritual. See, this might sound like gossip, but honestly, I'm really just looking out for so-and-so. Uh, I, I need y'all's prayer for this. And then you proceed not to talk about one of your own sin issues. You want to talk about someone else's sin issues. See, we spiritualize it. James says, don't boast about that. And, and that's false to the truth. That's not honestly keeping God's ambitions at the center. We're still allowing ourselves to warp those things and to fool others. We're not fooling God. He sees right through that. There's wisdom from above, and it doesn't start with us. It starts with the Father. There is even a darker side to that way of living. He says this wisdom doesn't come from above. That, that we know, should be clear. So where does it come from? It's earthly, unspiritual. What's that last word? Demonic. Demonic. So it's not from above, it's actually from below, metaphorically speaking. 
Make no mistake, that arrogant spirit originated in the satanic rebellion of the demonic forces in heaven and continues to this day. See, unspiritual, that means, or I'm sorry, earthly, that's the first word. That's, that's just of the world. Don't have time for revelation from God. Don't, don't have time for his word. This is just what the world says. This is kind of the culture. We're embracing that. We're living it. Even though scripture says don't love the world, don't love the things of the world, because that means the love of the Father is not in you. It's okay. It's okay. Because just majority opinion kind of rules in a lot of those earthly wisdom decisions. But he also says unspiritual, which means it's of the flesh. It's natural. There's, there's nothing supernatural about it. Nothing from God. But then demonic. Who is it that's whispering in your ear telling you you deserve better? God doesn't really care about you. He's not going to meet your needs. He's abandoned you. Or, uh, if you eat of that fruit, God's worried that now you're going to know the difference between good and evil. See, it all goes back to the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve believed a lie, and you and I believe that lie on a daily basis to this day. That's why we need wisdom from above. I've got to be in this word and hear clearly tune out the world, tune out even my own heart that is in turmoil or I've got all these uh, emotions that are just tempting me to sway one way or the other. I've got to be grounded in the word because as I experience God daily on that mountaintop vista, everything else becomes clear. What my priorities are. Those big rocks like love God and love others. If your feet are grounded on that, then you've got firm footing for what do I do with this extra income at the end of the month? Or uh, should I take on more responsibilities? Or, um, you know, what, what, what should we do for Thanksgiving? Simple matters of, of, of wisdom and decision-making can be filtered through those big decisions that come from above. That's wisdom. Wisdom from above. And if we don't learn our lesson, and if we don't walk in wisdom, and we walk in step instead with the satanic voice whispering in our ear, you know what we do? We get out of rhythm with the Spirit of God. We get out of rhythm with God's plan for our lives. And that creates a turbulence. It creates a turbulence in our relationships, in our families, in our practice. He says this leads to disorder. Disorder. Every vile practice, even evil, that's verse 16. So disar disharmony with God leads to disharmony in the body. So that's why we snap at each other in a moment of impatience. Oh, that's where those seeds of jealousy come from. That's why there's conflict and pride in the church. And pride is a serious problem in the church today. Would you agree? Serious problem. Because the serious problem in my life today. And I've seen churches disrupted and fractured over pride and it sounds like wisdom because it's what the world would call wisdom things that I have heard people say in a microphone in a church justifying why they're doing what they're doing here's some things that have been said well my family helped start this church therefore see where this is going I've been a member of this church for 60 years Okay? 
member who's been here for six months should have just as much access and love and, and respect in this community as you. But that's not where they're going. They're starting with themselves at the middle of their narrative. Or I'm the head deacon. I'm the head, therefore, my say. is, Or I'm the most qualified for this, this opening here. Or I'm going to address someone else's sin, but instead of going to them one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going to drag it in front of the whole church without any wisdom, without any prayer, without following the Matthew 18 process. Just throw up sin in the flock, and, and it's disruptive. I know some of you here have been crushed by a church, by other believers on what they've said about you. Jesus knows. And he's calling us to get back to his script for our lives. May we be a church that humbly depends on his word. Why are you here? Is it to know and do the will of God? Or is it that so your kingdom can be built here? so that your name can be great. May our heart be full and joyful that the name of Jesus would be great. And my time is short, but he does finish in verses 17 to 18. It's a very important point as we look forward to how God works through us. That is, when we're walking in harmony, we will see a harvest. When we walk in harmony, we will see a harvest. Look at this. The wisdom from above it's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. Uh, if that's not enough, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I won't have time to break down every single one of those words, but I think we can all agree this list is much more preferred than verses 14 to 16. Amen? Yes. We want to be pure. With no mixed motives, just the, the love of God, the, the holiness of God working through us. We want to be peaceable, not quarrelsome. We want to be gentle and meek. We want to be open to reason. We want to be full of fruit from God. How does this happen? It starts when you receive peace with God. That's where true harmony comes from. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, In Him, Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, he reconciles himself to all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, he made peace by the blood of his cross. God offers us a white flag. And all we're doing our sin nature is just launching missiles at him all day long. Every sinful thought, every proud motive, every word that is not clean and pure is launching a full-on attack on his character. And he comes into that conflict bringing peace. Because he loves us, and he wants to see reconciliation where there was fracturing. Jesus is not only the wisdom of God, he's the peace of God. He's the Prince of Peace. And boy, I'm looking forward to celebrating this Christmas with you all. Because our Prince of Peace has come. So shalom to all of you. Peace. But he says here, those who make peace will see this harvest. See, we're called into that, that work of reconciliation, of helping people find peace with God, and to be at peace with one another. That's our work. We get to serve the Lord in that way. Instead of using our, our tongues to do damage, we can use our tongues to do good. Remember what our Lord said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaking is hard work. 
it's very hard work. Because when someone has done damage, what's the easiest thing to do? Just walk away. Just leave. I don't have the energy, I don't have the time or the strength to deal with this nonsense. I'm gone. But if Jesus had done that, not a one of us would be guaranteed a seat at his table in the kingdom. So if he really is our Lord, and if we really do believe that his grace is sufficient, then his grace is sufficient to go after people with the love of Christ and bring them back to the table. To make peace. To confess my fault. Even if you only had 1% of the fault in the argument, guess what? The spiritual leader is the first one to say, I messed up. I'm sorry. And I have no excuse for that. But I know that I love you and I want us to be reconciled. This is one reason why I love small group so much in our church. This is where relationships are forged together. We're talking men's group or we're talking an evening small group. Because in theory, it sounds nice to say we should love God and love others. It's a different thing to say, well, Jackson needs to love Josh. And Lacey and Dina need to get along and love each other. And, and Nadia and Mark and, and Dennis and Linda. Here we are, actual people made in the image of God who from time to time will have disagreements. Do we really believe that we are still called to love them with all that we are? And when necessary, we confess our sins, we come back together because we believe the same gospel of Jesus Christ, and we walk in harmony. And when we do that consistently, continually, for years and years, what kind of harvest will God do in this church? At the very least, we will see Christ all over this congregation and that would be enough. But these seats are going to be filled with people. We are going to be in a facility greater than this, and there are going to be more people there because they're going to know this isn't one of those churches that says a lot of things from the front and then they don't live it out. Or they're going to bring me in the front door with a handshake and then throw me out the back when I don't go along with what they want. This is a church that will genuinely love me because when push comes to shove, it's not my will be done, it's God's will be done. That is a wise church. That is a mature church because the goodness of God comes from those who are experiencing his glory on a daily basis. And this past Friday, a lot of you were praying for our Good News Club outreach. And I want to thank you for that. God's been doing an amazing work there. And I got to tell you, it's not an easy task. You've got 80 kids running around in a gym. And when you get there, it's loud and it's chaotic and and it's like, is anything good going to come out of this? You know, you feel that, that kind of uh, pit in your stomach. Oh, what's going to happen? But then you see God work. And you see when different men and women of God step up and serve in different ways, you have a game time where the kids can, can let loose and have some fun and, and get to know each other and, and loosen up. And you have another brother who says, hey, I want to I share the Bible lesson this week. And, and someone else leads the, the scripture memory verse. And, and then we have counseling time where you answer questions about God. All of those acts are building bridges, doing the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people in. It'd be easy to stand on the outside and say, that looks hectic. I don't know if I want any part of it. And it's another thing to say, but I know God's going to bring a harvest from this if we're willing to come in and bring the peace that Jesus brings. And we've seen souls saved. 
from this ministry. We've seen lives change. Where there was chaos, now there's peace. And it's peace that's going to outlive all of us. Yeah. Peace that lasts for eternity. And it's not because, hey, I thought it was a good idea that I should go and love these kids. It was Jesus' idea. And those who just say, yes, Lord, your will be done. Work through me. We get to have a share in that harvest. So in conclusion, friends, this morning, have you experienced the goodness of God for yourself? This peace that I'm talking about that passes all understanding only comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Him? Do you have this peace in our life? If you haven't, today I want to encourage you, lay down your weapons. You can't fight God. And you certainly won't win. Lay down your weapons. He loves you. He's waving the white flag through His Son, Jesus. Reach out take Him. And if you have, then are you treasuring up His wisdom in your heart on a daily basis? Is His Word now your Word? Does His Word guide your actions? And if so, then what steps today can you take to be wise? Where can you love God deeper? Where can you love others further? Where can we build unity in this church? It probably means I need to die to something today. Some selfish ambition. Some vision I have in my head. I'm going to have to drive a stake through that ambition's heart. Because God's way is better. Let's seek His will. Let's seek His kingdom come and His will be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we need wisdom. We beg for it. We plead with you. Don't pass us by. And for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, we know we have your spirit within us. Just don't always do a great job of listening to him. Don't always do a great job of listening to your word. May you humble us this morning and cause us to depend on you once more. That our ears and our minds be open to you. That we would believe what you teach us and that we would have the courage to trust your plan and live it out. God, I pray this Christmas season, this Thanksgiving season, you'll show us the hurting people in North Sarasota that we can bring peace to. There's empty bellies that need to be filled. There are those with, with, without income, without financial resources that, that could use some love. Maybe there's some, some wandering and, 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 and hopeless people that need a smiling face. Show us, God. Even if it interrupts our plans, help us to be ready and willing to respond to that. Because that's what you did for us. You put everything on hold for us. It's been your plan all along. And we thank you for that cross. Help us today to pick up our cross and follow you. Help us to teach these little ones, the next generation, what it looks like to follow Jesus by how we love one another. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.